like to welcome those of you who are joining us online as well. And uh, we are so grateful that all of you have come. Uh, Emily was just saying something in that last song we sang that just really kind of struck me. And that is that name of
about to really articulate really in the Lord as it does patience. So I want to talk to you today about what it is that is in the thick that you will potentially face. I want you to bow your heads with me and as you do, let's pray this simple prayer. Lord, speak to me. Whatever you say to me, I will listen. I'm asking, Father, that today in this time together that you affect my emotions, my eyes and those that are watching me, right now my eyes and those that are watching later on, those that are in here that Open our eyes today, change our view, those things in our lives that seem so appealing to our old nature and our flesh. I pray, Father, that you would help us to see instead the patience of your agent in this discussion. And I pray you would change us today. And I pray this for the glory and honor of our Lord Jesus Christ. Beginning in chapter 1, if you'll look on the screen or if you'll turn there in your Bible, you'll by the beginning of verse 13, I like what the New Living Life says in chapter 1. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. The Bible says very clearly that the first 12 verses of James chapter 1 we're told about that when we go through different trials in life and different times, that is the testing of our faith. Over the last several weeks, we've referred to it numbers of times that the word, the New Testament word, the Greek word for test is the same Greek word that can be translated temptation. And so when something comes into our life and God means it to test us, to demonstrate our faith in him and our trust in him so that we might grow in our walk with him, grow in our faith and our character. But the devil means it for evil, and so for him, he's seeking to tempt you and cause you to fall. God wants you to pass the test. Satan wants you to fail the test. But it's the same word. In the first 12 verses, he's been talking about this word, translated trial or temptation, he's been talking about it from God's perspective that God is testing you and me and he wants us to pass so that those who do are going to receive eternal crowns of life. But then verse 13 begins by saying, now when that testing or that temptation comes, no one should ever think of God tempting them to do evil. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and God doesn't tempt anyone. God never wants anyone to sin. He never does anything that would 
that in many ways sort of distract or lure or try to get you away from it. But when someone is tempted, they're tempted because there's something in them. Now, we know we live in a world that is full of temptation. We know we have an enemy, the devil. We talked about a couple of weeks ago that tempts us to sin. But James is, is specifically targeting when you and I are tempted because there's something in us that is attracted to it. He said there is an evil desire that's within us. You can call it the flesh. You can call it the old nature. That part of us that is that was impacted by sin, where we man fell and we were born with this nature, this part of us that is just attracted to sin. And so when you give your life to Jesus, you become a child of God, you don't lose that old nature. You will one day lose it when you get that brand new body. But as long as you're in this world, you're going to have a nature that just sort of is attracted to sin. And so because of that in you, when temptation comes, specifically that is designed for you, it begins to attract you. Now, not everybody is allured by the same temptation. You could have a room. You could put someone in that room, and they see that room, and you can have a uh, some illegal drugs sitting in that room. And for many of you, you could sit in there all day long because you could be tempted by that. Others would view it as a fast then there might be a wallet sitting there that's got several hundreds of dollars in it, and maybe some might be tempted to go over and get some money out of that wallet. For another person, maybe a pornographic magazine would be there, and for them, boy, that would be a real struggle. For someone else, maybe there would be someone that you know, personal their personal diary would be there, and maybe you would be tempted to want to go over and open that up and look and find out all the stuff that they've written in their electronic diary. I mean, everybody, what would what would tempt each person here might be different, but we all got something. You sitting in that room, we've all got something that we would have to battle because it attracts to that part of us we call the old nature, the flesh. Now, the Bible says that because of that, it says, we are all drawn away and enticed by temptation. Drawn away is a hunting term, and enticed is a fishing term. Drawn away was a hunting term that meant like you were trying to uh, set a trap for some sort of animal. And enticed was a fishing term talking about how you would create a lure that was based on it, that was somehow that you were so attracted to the fish, you would make the fish want to take it. The fish thinks it's found a meal, but when it takes that, it finds out it is the meal. It becomes the meal, right? It's always got a purpose. So the Bible says that when we begin to be drawn away and lured by this temptation that is designed for you by the enemy, he designed to make this special lure that attracts you. You and I never see the hook. Right? We 
thing about good lure is it doesn't ever see the hook. They see the swing reel. Get the full effect. But the Bible says, and of course, that's what that that lure is out there that appeals to something in this old part of us that we begin to be drawn away, lured, torn, pulled towards it. And so it says that if we conjure that, we think about it, at some point we conceive in our mind a plan of how we're going to take it. We, we conceive of that take some sort of action toward it, whether that's just in our minds or physically, and then we tickle this lure. And when it is when it's forth, it reaches its fulfillment, it fully mature, it says, the result is death. But I want you to see that James is saying sin always brings about
boats that were over. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and they covered themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So we can look. God has told him, don't eat of this fruit or this tree or you will die. And Satan said, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. That's the same thing he says to you. It's the same thing he says to me. Every time we're tempted, the Bible says that sin always brings about death. And the devil looks at you and me and says, you're not going to die. You can do this and you'll be okay. So when Adam and Eve took the fruit, the forbidden fruit, and we don't know what that fruit was. It's only as if like an apple, but it doesn't really say. So when they took of that forbidden fruit, did they die? Well, they didn't die physically, not at that moment. can't touch it, you know, lest you die. And still he says, you're not going to die. And she starts looking at it, and she reaches up and takes that fruit. He could have stopped her. I think he was letting her be a guinea pig. She takes a bite of the fruit, and I think he's waiting to see if she drops dead. And when she doesn't die physically, is, did they die? And the answer is yes. Because the word death doesn't mean to cease to exist. It doesn't mean annihilation. The word death means separation. The word death means somehow something that has created separation and and loss. You've been cut off from life. So death is the absence of life. It is the loss of life. So the moment they sinned against God, they died spiritually. Instantly. They instantly were separated from God by their sin. Happened immediately. They 
began to die physically through death. Physical death came into the world. But just death entered the world. And all of a sudden, animals who had all been living together peacefully, coexisting, suddenly began to kill one another. Death came into the world. Just a few years later, one of the sons, Cain, would kill his brother Abel. Several hundred years later, Adam, it says, died physically. This sin brought about great loss. Did they die? Well, they lost their innocence. Their eyes were opened. They lost their their intimacy with God, their relationship with God. Now they're hiding. They, they, they lost this sense of confidence in the presence of God. Now they're ashamed. Now they're hiding. They feel guilty. They lost their uh, close, intimate relationship with each other because when God says to Adam, who told you you were naked? Adam goes, the woman. The woman you gave me. And now the blame game has started, and she goes, well, the devil or the serpent is being deceived. They lost paradise. They lost the Garden of Eden. They lost a world where they where they were managing and they were stewards and they were in authority over the world, and they gave that up. And at that moment, at the very instant that they sinned, they handed the keys of this world to Satan. And he became the God of this world. They lost so much. So did they die? Was there death in them? Absolutely. But the devil always said, you're not going to die. I I think Adam sat there, and I think when they didn't, he didn't die physically instantly, I think he concluded, well, I'm not going to take over this world. I guess I'll just do this, and that's that. What a wrong motive. There's always death in this world. Now, the devil says we can't sin. Every time we're tempted and we're being enticed and drawn away and allured, the enemy says to you, not going to be any harm in this. You just do this and get away with it. You just do this for just one time and you'll be okay. He tells those of you who are believers in the Lord Jesus, you just do one time. Well, God will bring you to God, you know, because after you do it, then, you know, you'll be able to confess your sin and God will forgive you. He will. But he tells you in this note, no, 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 you can do it one time. You can do it just by you and I need to come to where we believe God rather than what the enemy says to us. There's always death in this. There's always loss. Sin always costs us. Always. It always takes something away from you. Always. Now, for those who have never come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, maybe someone is watching me now, someone in this room, the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, for the wages of sin is death, separation from God, cut off from the life of God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. 
wages of sin is death. The person who sins, who serves sin, gets paid the wage, and that wage is death. It is separation, cut off from the life of God. And every single person in this world, when they sin, their sin separates them from God. That's called spiritual death. Ephesians chapter one, chapter 2, verse 1 says that you were dead in your sins and in your trespasses. Spiritual death. Now, if you die physically while you're still spiritually cut off from the life of God, then you are what the Bible calls you have died eternally. That means you have been separated from God forever. And then in the book of Revelation, chapter 20, it says, after the judgment, when every person who has been separated from God forever is brought before God and they're judged there at the great white throne, it says books are open, they, their name is looked for in the book of life, but it's not there. And it says, and they will be cast alive into the lake of fire forever and ever to be tormented. And it says, this is the second so this is an eternal separation from God forever. So every one of us, our sin costs us, cuts us off from the life of God. And there's nothing you and I can do to restore that. Eternal life is not something that God reaches over here and grabs, opens his treasure chest and grabs a container called eternal life and then somehow puts it in there. Jesus said in John 17, he prayed to the Father, and he says in verse 1, Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and that they may know Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is having a relationship with God. It is being reconnected to God in a relationship, and at that point, when you're in relationship with him, you have eternal life, because God is the source of life. But sin brings death. So sin separates a person from God. The wages of sin is separation, cut off from the life of God. But the gift of God is eternal life, is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if you're here today, you're watching today, and you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, then you are separated from God because of your sin. But God offers you today a gift. The gift is his son. He says, here is my son Jesus. He died for you. He died on the cross in your place. He rose again from the dead. And everyone who will call out to him shall be saved. Saved from their sin. So when someone cries out and says, Jesus Save me from my sin. Jesus forgives them of their sin, and he gives them a relationship with God, and at that point they receive eternal life. 
that you'll never lose it until you do. The only way for you and I to ever be reconnected to God is to see his son, Jesus, as our Lord and our Savior. There may be someone in here today you need Jesus. There may be somebody watching today who has never done this. You agree there is no other way for you to know God and to have eternal life except by receiving this gift of his son, Jesus Christ. But for those of us, the majority of us here have already done that. We've already given our life to Jesus. And so when you sin, it doesn't bring about a a rift in your relationship with God to where your life is powerless. That's not what happens. So sin doesn't bring truth and depth to you. It doesn't cut you off from the life of God. But don't make the mistake of thinking that sin doesn't somehow create separation and loss. Because when you as a Christian, as a child of God, when you sin, it cuts you off from your intimate fellowship with God, doesn't it? So don't you lose your fellowship with God? When you sin against God, do you lose your confidence before God? That sense of boldness where you can walk into the presence of God and know that if you talk to him, that he's hearing you when you pray, you lose. That sin costs you that. You will lose the joy of your salvation then. David prayed in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Because when we sin, it always has death in it. It causes separation. It will separate you from your joy in the Lord. It separates you from your peace. Suddenly you lose that peace of heart and mind. Separates you. You lose the empowering of the Holy Spirit on your life. It doesn't mean you lose the Holy Spirit, but you're not filled with the Spirit anymore, and you will not and cannot live an abundant, victorious Christian life when you sin. Sin robs you of that. It takes away the power of the Holy Spirit from operating in your life. It will rob you of your fruitfulness, because you will then maybe even try to serve God and and maybe you'll try to do a responsibility that maybe you have. Maybe you're leading a ministry in the church. Maybe you're teaching a class. Maybe you're trying to teach your children or your grandchildren about Jesus. And there is no power in that because sin will rob you of the power of fruitfulness in your life. And therefore it robs you of, it, of your eternal reward, which you'll be getting for serving the Lord. Sin always has death. It always costs you. It dulls your conscience. You lose your sensitivity to sin. I mean, the more you do a certain sin, the less it bothers you. You can lose your freedom, your freedom in Christ. Suddenly, that sin would seem so so innocent, so controlling and so harmless, the enemy told us. Next thing you know, you do that enough, and it just puts you down yourself. And how many of us for that reason have gone to a place where we refuse to sin? There'll be consequences that'll come to your life. You might, because of certain sins, you might lose your reputation. You might lose your good name. You might lose 
a relationship you make, you might lose your family. You could lose your ministry. You could lose your health. You could lose your wealth. You could even wind up in jail or in prison. Sin always costs you. It always has a crook in it. It always brings about death and loss and separation. So every time that allurement comes, that should jerk in so, so much tension until you realize there's something in it.
himself before God. He's never asked to do anything that saves you from your sin. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death, separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What's eternal life? That they may know you, God, your Son, give your life to Jesus, you give that life to Jesus, blessed as you are, life eternal, instantaneously you will be forgiven of all your sins, you will be given a relationship with God, and you will be restored to a life with God where you will have eternal life. You will live with God forever and ever and ever, and nothing will be able to separate you any longer from God. Jesus had to die on the cross to pay for your sins. He suffered. He bled. He died. But he rose again on the third day. And when he rose again from the dead, physically rose again, the word of God says, this is how you can know that the payment has been made and accepted. That all who will give their lives now to Jesus, to them he gives the right to be the children of God. To them, they get a relationship with God, eternal life. That's what you want today. Rightly you are, right now, wherever you are, you just simply pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I know that I am sinning against God. And I've sinned a lot.
that those of you who prayed that prayer, the Bible says there's a celebration going on in heaven right now. God is thrilled to have you in his family. So challenge your efforts. You have just got a brand new start in life. You just got a brand new nature. You've got to change to transform. There are so many incredible, glorious things that can happen to you that you can't say the rest of your life unless you figure out all that God can do in an individual. That's the purpose of the church, to help you get to know God better and get to understand all that God has done for you and for people. So I want to ask you, if you prayed that prayer today and you're moving through, would you take the gray cards and put this back in front of you? Just fill out the information, check the box that says, today I ask Jesus to save me from my sins. When the service is over, I'm going to stand right down here, and I'm going to ask you, if you prayed that prayer, to fill that card out that we can put it into the giving opportunity at the end of the first service. Is that okay? Hopefully. If you don't have time to fill it out and do that, would you take the card back to the offering box like to join our church, then take the gray card, check on that sheet. Let me see it. Or we will bring it to the doctor's office. Hopefully. Maybe you need to be baptized. Check the box for Christian baptism. If you're our guest here today, thank you for coming. I appreciate the Christmas you gave here. I hope that you were blessed. I hope that you spoken to by God. If you wouldn't mind, if you'll take the blue card and put the sheet back, fill it out just drop it at the offering box. All of us that remember to give our offering to the Lord today do it here in person. Before we go, let me make a couple of announcements that are pretty important. First of all, I want to introduce you to newest members of our church, which is a dear, precious lady by the name of Kathy Knight. Now, Kathy's not here in the service with us today. She's joining us online. But I had the privilege of meeting her in person this week. She has been attending our church uh, regularly prior to COVID shutting and because of health issues and had to be careful. So she's been watching us each week, joining us online. So this week she has said, I can't quite come back yet. So she said, I've listened to all the videos that you and our teachers have. I've watched those online. She said, I want to be a part of Brook Haven Church. She's already signed up to be a part of our prayer answer service, Lord. She's getting involved. She's committed. And so I'd like to clap real loud so that Kathy can hear how thrilled we are to have her with us. Welcome, Kathy. This coming Wednesday night, we have some really, really wonderful events that I want to invite you all to. We're having a, a banquet, a, a meal together that starts at about, let's see, Six o'clock, we're going to serve some fajitas. We're having potatoes, and uh, we're having all the people who are part of the prayer ministry of our church to come and be a part of this. But I want to invite anybody who wants to come to be a part of that because it's going to be a wonderful evening because we're going to talk about the things that God has done that answers the prayers of God's people. It's going to be such an encouraging, wonderful evening to see what all God is doing, what He's done. Then in addition to that, we have a special speaker who's going to be coming and talking to us about the power of prayer and what God does when we pray. And so she's going to present and talk to us. It's going to be a wonderful time. 
Romans is part of seven. Many of you will have the idea about Trump hating Trump. So child care is provided. But if you're going to come, all of you are invited. I hope that you will. But if you'd like to eat with me at 6 o'clock so that we can know you're coming, so that we can share food. So if you would like to come here at 6 o'clock, it's a good time of fellowship. Bring your children, get them. Any of you want to eat, you need to know that you're coming. You can take, if you would, a gray card. Take one of those gray cards. I want you to put a name on there and then say, how, just put a number on it. How many people are going to eat? Okay? Put a prayer deal and then put three, five, one, whatever it's going to be, and then you drop it in the offering box when you walk out. But you will tomorrow order the food. So we need to know that today that you're coming. I hope that you'll be here. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful time of fellowship. Lastly, the um, the first Sunday of November, November the 7th, that's not next Sunday, the Sunday after that, Time Change Sunday. That's the Sunday, best Sunday of the year. We gain an hour of sleep. That's the night we set our clocks back to the night before and get to all things first a little bit later. Except on that day, we're going to change the services. So we're making an adjustment in the service schedule. We're going to take this 10 o'clock service beginning the first Sunday of November. We're going to move it 30 minutes earlier to 9.30. So you'll be out of this other service somewhere a little bit after 10.30. Then the second service is going to begin at 11 o'clock instead of 11.30. So you'll be out just a couple of minutes after 12. So we're changing the service times to 9.30 and 11 on November the 7th, Time Change Sunday. On that day, when you set your clocks back, remember, you've got to come 30 minutes earlier to that service, okay? Try to wrap that as best you will. All right, well, praise the Lord. Today we had a good weekend. We had our young people that were going to a youth retreat. We had about 50 teenagers and sponsors that were out all weekend serving the Lord. They'll be coming back together here really at about 12, 1230 today. And they had a wonderful weekend serving the Lord. And I thank you for that. Let's stand together. Father, as we go forth from this place today, as those who are watching us today, as they go into their week, I pray that your truth would be etched in our minds. We would not let the enemy steal the seed of your word. And God, we would today take the time branded with the truth that there's always death and loss and separation when it comes to your word. And so I pray that as our people this week continue, I pray that you would set them free and give them victory through your truth. We thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Thank you for coming. You are dismissed.